Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good morning. Good to see all of you. I almost wore my referee outfit again today because <laughs> that went over so well. And just the way the game all turned out, I thought, man, that would be uh, just a, a jolly thing to do. But anyway, we're here today. We're raring to go. We're in our Daring Faith campaign, and hopefully you've picked up your Daring Faith uh, study guide and devotional book and journal. It's got all kinds of things in here. And uh, if you don't have one, if you stop by out at Campaign Central, uh, they'll put your name on the list. We have some coming, uh, and they'll uh, get them to you here. Uh, we've run out several times, and we're thankful for that, but we'll get you fixed up with one. Also in the book, uh, we gave you a commitment card. And this is the weekend that we're asking you to turn that in. You can drop it in the giving boxes as you uh, leave. And um, we would love for you just to make a commitment. We've learned over the years around here that uh, we, we build on the commitments that we make. And God can do much more in your life when you commit it uh, to Him. And so we're asking you to make the commitment to do your best to be here every weekend for the sermon. And look at you guys, here you are. And uh, we're asking you to get plugged into a small group and get committed to reading uh, the daily devotionals and just uh, learning uh, about daring faith together. So we want to be able to pray over those cards to the staff. We're going to do some fun stuff with them. And uh, uh, if you can't get a uh, commitment card, or for those of you who are watching online, you can also do the commitment card on the app, uh, the Rockbrook Church app, and we'll get you plugged in as uh, honoring uh, that commitment. Uh, today, I'm talking about uh, prepare, daring to prepare for a miracle. And I want to begin by giving you a definition of a miracle. And so the biblical definition of a miracle would be something like this. A miracle is an event that involves the direct and powerful action of God, transcending the ordinary laws of nature and defying common expectations of behavior. Miracles are extraordinary occurrences that can only be attributed to the supernatural work of God. And, and they demonstrate his involvement in human history. And so God employs miracles in the Bible uh, to reveal himself. They demonstrate his character. They accomplish his purposes in the world uh, through, through a phenomenon that can't be explained through any other way. And an example of this would be the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. God attracted Moses' attention with something out of the ordinary. Moses is in the desert. There are lots of bushes in the desert, but there's only one bush that's on fire and isn't, doesn't get burned up. And so Moses is attracted to that, went over to see it, and then God revealed himself to Moses uh, through that burning bush. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so miracles can provide evidence of God's presence and God's power in the world. They demonstrate his authority uh, to his servants. Now, a miracle may be performed directly by God or through a human agent. In fact, Moses went on uh, to perform miracles uh, on God's behalf. 
and Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament did also. Uh, Christ's apostles, his disciples in the New Testament. Uh, how many of you are watching the Chosen uh, series this time? You have a bunch of good for you. And uh, spoiler alert, he's going to send out the, the disciples to go do miracles on his behalf. Now, one of the greatest miracles is God's creation of the world and everything in it. And equally astounding is the miracle of the incarnation. Uh, when the eternal Son of God left his heavenly glory, came to earth, took on human flesh, was born as a baby in a manger, grew to be a man, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross for my sin, for your sin. And then through the stunning miracle of the resurrection, Christ overcame death and the powers of hell. So that in the words of John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that, say the word with me, whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the most important question you will ever ask and answer is, are you a whoever? Are you a whoever? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You have got to sort that question out and be certain of your answer. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ to save you? Do you believe in Christ? Do you recognize him as God's one and only son, your savior? It's not a matter of you trying to be a good person. It's not a matter of you being better than most of the people around you. It's not even a matter of if you believe in God. I'll have people say, Pastor, I believe in God. I've always believed in God. Well, good for you, but that's not going to do it. The Bible says that the demons believe in God and tremble, but that doesn't save them. It is placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone that releases the miracle of salvation in your life and provides you with the gift of eternal life. And you need to settle that question. Are you a whoever that is trusting in Christ? And the wonderful thing is, you can settle that question right here, today, right now. You just pray and say, God, I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I ask uh, him to forgive me of my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. And bam, you will become a child of God and you can have the gift of eternal life. Somebody say, amen. There we go. Now, a miracle is a divine work of God that transcends human understanding. A miracle inspires wonder, and it displays the greatness of God. A miracle causes people to recognize that God is active in the world. And Jesus Christ used miracles to demonstrate his divinity, to demonstrate his authority over nature, his authority over people, to authenticate the authority of his message. His teaching was often validated by a miracle. And so today, we're going to look at daring to prepare for a miracle. And we're going to look at perhaps the most famous miracle of Jesus, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. And we say the feeding of the 5,000, it was probably more than that, because the Bible says there were 5,000 men there. Well, wherever you've got 5,000 men, who knows how many women and children you've got. And so the crowd could have been 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. 
you know, when they filmed the feeding of the 5,000 for the chosen, we got a family here at church that was there. There were how many? 12,000 people that they had there to, for that filming. So this was a massive, massive crowd. And um, uh, the story here really is how God turns a little into a lot. How does God take our scarcity and miraculously turn it into his abundance? And, and there's four principles found in this miracle that you need to know. Because many times in your life, you're going to need God to turn a little into a lot. You, you got a little energy, and you need God to turn it into a lot of energy. You got a little talent, but you need God to turn it into a lot of talent. You got a little opportunity, but you need God to turn it into a big opportunity. You got a, a little relationship, you need God to turn it into a big relationship. You got a little bit of money, you need God to turn it into a lot of money. You got a little bit of health, but you need God to turn it into great health. How does God do that? That's what this miracle is about. Now, Jesus never did miracles just to show off. He didn't use miracles like magic tricks to impress people. Pharisees were always saying to Jesus, show us a sign, do a miracle. Show us a sign to convince us that you're, you're the Messiah. He wouldn't do it. When he was on trial, Pilate sent him over to Herod, uh, the, the Roman governor. And Herod was excited to have Jesus show up because he wanted Jesus to do it. He'd heard about him. He wanted him to do a miracle for him. And so he come on, Jesus, do a trick for me. Do, do, do something to wow me. Do something to entertain me. And Jesus wouldn't do it. Uh, that, that's not the purpose of his miracles. He never did them to show off. Every miracle he did was to teach a spiritual truth. And, and the spiritual truth of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is to show us how to prepare for a miracle where God turns a little into a lot. And it's very important as we go through daring faith. And in fact, this miracle is so important that it's the only miracle that is told four times in the New Testament. Each of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four gospels include this miracle. Look, folks, if God tells you something four times, okay, you, you need to listen up. You need to pay attention to it. And uh, so you know the story, but, but Jesus goes out into the Judean desert to preach a sermon. A multitude of people show up out there to hear the message. Jesus is teaching all day. And at the end of the day, 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children are hungry. And they're miles, literally miles away from their homes. They're miles away from the closest city. Uh, they're the nearest food. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, it's late in the day and everybody's hungry. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. I love it in the New Living Translation. It says, you feed them. You feed them. We're going to look at that again in a minute. And the disciples said, Lord, that's impossible. It's physically, practically, humanly, financially impossible for the 12 of us to feed this multitude. And so what's going on here? Jesus performs a miracle to teach us the four steps for preparing for a miracle. I'll tell you, I'm trusting God for miracles during this Daring Faith campaign. I really am. I believe they're, they're going to happen. They're already happening. I've had some of you come to me already a week into it and say, this is what God is doing in my life as a result of this campaign. And so what's Jesus telling us here? Four things. Write these down because you're going to need them. 
Number one, admit I have an unsolvable problem. Admit I have an unsolvable problem. And I'm just going to be real blunt here, and I want to be blunt in order to be clear. Uh, trust me, as your pastor, I'm not being blunt to be mean. But sometimes you just got to cut through the clutter and say it like it is. If you don't have an unsolvable problem, you don't need a miracle. If you don't have an unsolvable problem, you don't need a miracle. If you have a solvable problem, you just need to solve it, okay? And many times our problems can be solved simply by obeying God's Word, okay? God has already given us the answers to most of our problems right in here. We just need to discover the answers, take it to heart, and obey it. And sometimes we want God to do a miracle. And God says, Kelly, no, 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 you don't need a miracle. You just need a budget. <laughs> Kelly, you don't need a miracle. You just need a diet. Kelly, you don't need a miracle. You just need to treat your wife the way I tell you to treat your wife in my word. And so it's not a matter of needing God to step in and do a miracle. God's already offered the solutions to our problems, most of them, in his word. We just need to obey it and do it. But sometimes, sometimes we get in over our head. Sometimes God backs us into a corner because he wants to teach us to trust in him, and he wants to grow our faith. And so when that's the case, I, I got to admit I have an unsolvable problem. Uh, let's look at it here in Mark chapter 6. It says, when Jesus landed, and, and when I first read that, I thought, okay, I need to stop right there and just make it clear that when Jesus landed, he was not in a plane, he was not in a UFO, he was not in a balloon, okay? He was in a boat. Okay. He crossed the Sea of Galilee, landed on the shore, saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He began teaching them what's right in here. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. You feed them. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. In this passage, we see three typical responses to unsolvable problems. And I do these, you do these, everybody does these three things. So here they are. First, oh boy, we procrastinate. We procrastinate. We have a problem we can't solve. We just keep putting it off. We just keep kicking the can down the road because we don't know how to solve it. And so we keep putting it off. And we deny that it even exists. We delay it. We look the other way. We hope the problem will solve itself. But it doesn't. The, the phrase in this passage says, by this time, it was late in the day. 
The, the disciples were procrastinating. They had all day to figure out how to feed these 5,000 people. They had all day to figure out, but they'd done nothing. Procrastination only makes the problem worse in your life. If you've got a problem in your life, you need to deal with it now. Not tomorrow, not next week. You need to deal. The sooner you deal with it, the easier it's going to be to solve it because procrastination only makes it worse. So what problem have you been procrastinating about? What problem do you know that you're pretending isn't a problem? What problem are you pretending isn't in your marriage? What problem are you pretending isn't in your body? What problem are you pretending isn't in your finances? You need to identify the problem in order to solve it. And the second thing we do is we pass the buck. We blame other people. It's not my problem, it's her problem. It's not my problem, it's their problem. And, and you've heard me say it many times that you spell blame be lame. When you blame other people, you are being lame. And the, the disciples here, they said, send the people away. Let them go buy their own food. They're shirking their responsibility. They said, we didn't invite these people out here. We didn't ask them to come. Uh, we didn't promise them food. Just send them away. Out of sight, out of mind. Passing the buck. Third thing we do is we worry. We worry. We fret. We stew. We get anxious. We get stressed out. They said, Lord, it would take eight months' wages to feed them. Notice they go all economics on Jesus. Notice the first thing they do is attach a dollar amount to it. And as soon as you attach a dollar amount to a problem, uh, your anxiety goes into overdrive. I mean, Judas, the, the one who held the purse for the group, uh, he's freaking out. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, he's calculating how much is this going to cost for us to feed all these people. James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. I love that. It makes it sound like they're a couple of professional wrestlers. Okay? And, and, you know, they're just fuming mad at the situation here. And, and Peter, he's the impulsive one. You know, he's, he's trying to, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to manipulate this? He's scheming to do this thing. 5,000 people. Imagine the expense. How are we ever going to afford the food? How are we going to get the food out here? How are we going to distribute the food? How are we going to clean up the food? You know, their minds are going into overdrive uh, with the logistics of it. They're not solving the problem. They're just thinking up more and more problems. You know, they're making the problem bigger. Worry never solves a problem. Worry just magnifies a problem. So we worry, 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 and we fret, fret, fret. And I love what Jesus says. He looks at the 12 guys and he says, you feed them. You, you give them something to eat. And they respond, are you kidding? We can't do that. Because they're procrastinating, they're passing the buck, and they're worrying. Now, what's the problem with this picture? The problem is they're standing next to Jesus. Okay? Jesus can turn stones into bread if he wants to. He can turn water into wine. He could easily feed everybody instantly if he wanted to. They're standing in the presence of the Son of God, and they say, Lord, this is practically, humanly, financially impossible. Has God ever asked you to do something impossible? God loves to do that. 
God loves to ask you to do something impossible. And then we go, Lord, I don't have the time, the energy, the money. I don't have the education, the skill, the ability. You got the wrong guy, Lord. God said to Moses, I want you to do this. And Moses said, not me. God said to Jeremiah, I want you to do this for me. Jeremiah said, why me? God said to Isaiah, I want you to do this for me. Isaiah said, use me. Here I am, send me. See the difference? God says, I want you to do the impossible. Why? Why does God ask you to do the impossible? Because he wants to stretch your faith. He wants to grow your faith. God asks you to do something, something physically, humanly, financially impossible. It's because he wants to grow you. And the first principle of a miracle is, I got to admit that the problem I'm facing right now is unsolvable. Because that admission shifts the problem from being something that you can do, and it turns it into something only God can do. It brings faith into the... Actually, it shifts your faith from, from having faith in yourself and your own ability, and it shifts your faith into the ability of God. And with God, nothing is impossible first principle. Principle number two, you give God what little I already have. Give God what little I already have. Uh, Jesus says to the disciples, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And he sends the, the disciples on a reconnaissance mission among these thousands of people. Anybody got anything to eat out here? Anybody got any food out here? And when they found out, they said, Five small loaves of bread and two fish. One little boy has a sack lunch his mom prepared for him. God bless the mom. Yeah. Five little barley loaves, couple of dried fish. Only one in that multitude with any food. And he becomes the hero of the story. There's three 12 big hulking men there. There's a bunch of fishermen, there's a zealot, there's a tax collector, the sons of thunder, and Jesus uses a little boy to solve the problem because he's willing to offer up what little he's got. He gives God what little he had. Now, why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus say, find out how much food's out there? Find out how many loaves of bread are among this crowd. He didn't need anything to do the miracle. He could have just said, bread for everybody, and manna would have fallen from heaven. It's predominantly a Jewish crowd. They would have gotten the significance of that. Why did he do it this way? Because the second principle of a miracle is God always starts with what I have. God starts with what I have. May not be much, but I give it to God. God, I don't have much time, but here's my time. God, my finances aren't much, but I'll give you what I got. God, my talent, it's not much, but here's my talent. I give you everything in my life. I give you my reputation. I give you my heart, my soul, my past, my present, my future. It's not much, but Lord, here's my five loaves and two fish. God always starts with what I have. John 6, 6 says, Jesus asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Folks, Jesus wasn't sweating this. When God asked you to do the impossible, he's not sweating it. He's not making it up as he goes along. He already has in his mind what he's going to do. 
He saw the need long before you did, and he's got a plan. And write this down. It's important truth. God has the answer before I know the problem. God has the answer before I know the problem. It's not late in the day for Jesus. He saw it long before the disciples did. He knew it was coming and already had a plan for it. And his plan is to increase your faith by asking you to give what little you have. And God starts with that. Why? Why? Because that little bit that you have, that belongs to God anyway. Okay? Where do you think you got it? God isn't starting with what's yours. He's starting with what's rightfully his. He just wants you to acknowledge that it's his. That's an act of faith by giving it back to him. Number three, put it all in the hands of Jesus. We put it all in the hands of Jesus. Uh, In John's account, he says it's the disciple Andrew who finds this little boy who has the sack lunch. And and the boy becomes the hero because he gives what he's got Uh, to Jesus. In verse 41, it says, and he, that's Jesus, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples again and again to set before them. Jesus takes the little boy's bread and fish, and he looks up to heaven, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he hands it to the disciples, and he breaks it, and he hands it to the disciples. And in Jesus' hands, it begins to multiply. And he passes it out until he's passed out enough bread and fish to feed this multitude. He divided the two fish among them all. God will use whatever I give him. May not be much, but if I give him the little time, energy, effort, money I've got, God will multiply it and will use it. Now, notice that the boy gave willingly, cheerfully, and immediately. Those are the keys to a miracle. He gives willingly. Matthew says the little boy volunteered to give up his lunch. The disciples didn't wrestle some little boy to the ground and take his his lunch from him, okay? They're not bullies. He volunteered it. He gave it willingly. Gave all of it. He didn't say, well, let me keep one loaf and one fish, and you guys are going to have the leftovers. He gave all of it willingly. Cheerfully, no grumbling, no complaining, didn't worry or fret. God loves a cheerful giver. And he gave it immediately. As soon as he saw the need, he said, Jesus, take my lunch. And no hesitation. And that gets us to the fourth key uh, to a miracle here. And that is you need to expect God to multiply it. Expect God to multiply it. Uh, You know, whatever I give, I'm going to wind up with more. That's just what happens. I put it in the hands of Jesus, and I expect him to multiply it. Look at Mark 6, 42. It says, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. It says, they all ate till they were satisfied. But Jesus doesn't just satisfy everybody. He makes a spiritual statement by going above and beyond. Each of the 12, I love this picture, each of the 12 disciples winds up with a basket overflowing with bread and fish. And there's a little boy standing in in the middle of them. The boy's going home with more food than he brought, you know. 
I mean, he's fed, the little boy's lunch is fed this multitude. He ends up being richer himself. He, he's going to go home with more food. I mean, imagine his mom. Where did you get all this food? Is he going to have a story to tell her? And uh, it's a miracle story. Uh, God blesses you as you try to bless others. You cannot outgive God. The boy ends up with more than he started out with. Now, God likes to do miracles through people. God likes to work through ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And, and here, here's, here's the truth. What we wait for God to do for us, God is waiting to do through us. What we wait for God to do for us, God is waiting to do through us. And so during daring faith, God doesn't want to just do a miracle for you. He wants to do a miracle through you. Like he did through this little boy. He said, you know, it's not much. It's all I have. Gives it to Jesus. Jesus takes it, blesses it, breaks it, multiplies it. And God wants to do that so many ways in your life. This miracle is so appropriate to our congregation right now. Because people all over our community, even our country and the world, people are spiritually hungry right now. It's late in the day for our culture. It's late in the day for our country. People are starving to death for spiritual truth. And God has said to me and to you, to Rockbrook Church, you feed them. You feed them. And we say, Lord, we can't do that. He asked us to do the impossible. He asked us to prepare for a miracle. And folks, I want to tell you, because of your faith and through your faith, because of your faithful serving, your faithful giving, God is blessing, He is multiplying, and He is moving in our midst. And that's what this church is built on. This church was started as an act of faith over 25 years ago. And it stands on an active faith to this very day. As New Testament believers, we live in the light of the resurrection. Because if God can raise a person from the dead, He can do anything. If God can raise a dead human being, He can raise a dead marriage. If God can raise a dead human being, He can raise a dead career. If God can raise a dead human being, he can raise a dead dream. God can do anything. The resurrection proves it. In the Old Testament, it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And the obvious answer is no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And the resurrection is the ultimate example. It's the ultimate example that the greater the sacrifice, the greater the results. Because Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life for the sins of mankind. He didn't just die on the cross. He died to take away my guilt, shame, and my sin, to take away your guilt, shame, and sin. And he died so that he could offer the gift of salvation to the world. People say that Christianity is so exclusive. It's not exclusive. It's the most inclusive religion on the planet. Because it's whoever believes in him. Doesn't exclude anybody. The invitation is to everybody. 
Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice so that anybody can be saved. And so we come back to the question, are you a whoever? We're, we're focusing on daring faith in this campaign, but really it's not a matter of having faith or having a big faith or even having a daring faith. Okay, that, that's not, that's not, it's not a matter of how big your faith is. It's a matter of who your faith is in. Are, it, we don't want you to have faith in faith. We don't want you to have faith in yourself. We want you to have faith in Christ. Because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Christ alone is worthy of your faith. And according to your faith, let it be done to you. Let's pray together. God, I just pray for those people who are here today, whoever's watching online. God, if there's anyone who's never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, I pray that they might do that. That in this very moment, they might be able to pray. God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, and I want him to be my savior. And I ask Christ to come into my life and forgive me of my sins and to give me that new, abundant, eternal life that is promised to those who put their trust in him. And God, we thank you that you're faithful to your word. You're faithful to your promise that you will hear that prayer and you'll forgive our sins and make us a child of God. And God, I pray for those of us who are believers and I pray that today it's not a matter of whoever, it's a matter of whatever. Whatever it is that you want us to do, whatever the area is in our life where you want to increase our faith, we ask you to call us, to call us to do the impossible because we want to yield our lives to you. We want to give you what we have and we want to see you do great and mighty things with it. God, we're trusting in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.